Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. And on this dark and foreboding night, we have Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Hello, everyone. And today we're joined by horror and games writer, Cass Caw. Hello. And finally, we have Paradox's James Persaud. Hello. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about the Weather Factory's Cultist Simulator, uh, which was sort of designed and largely written by uh, Alexis Kennedy, formerly of Fail Better Games, uh, lead writer, I think, on uh, Sunless Sea, and someone that we've had on the show before and whose work we've, uh, I think we're on record as, as generally enjoying. Um, and this is the uh, first game from The Weather Factory, and Cultist Simulator is a... And here we come to the first issue. Uh, Troy, exactly, Troy. What is Cultist Simulator? How how do we how do we define this odd doc? Uh, Cultist Simulator is a card driven strategy story generator. Probably one of the best way to put it. It is a solitaire game where you have uh, a bunch of different uh, decks of cards. Uh, some of the decks are in fact rooms, and you play other cards into those to generate. Uh, resources that you then spend on other more advanced actions. Uh, there are four basic resources, passion, reason, health, and money. Uh, the goal is to, if there is a goal, is to found a cult and probe the dark mysteries of the universe in sort of a Lovecraftian type of setting. You are kind of an everyman, every person. You can be a uh, start out as an inspector or as a minor scholar or as an office clerk or as a Bernie Worcester man about town uh, sort of thing, which is actually kind of fun because you can get some money really, really quick and really easy to start. Um, you upgrade your skills and your insights and bit by bit you create a cult and a following and undertake dark mysteries and hopefully survive, uh, which is kind of the weird thing about this game. The tough part of this game is, is surviving. It is a game with very few directions uh, a bit of a opaque interface in some ways. We can go into that in a bit. And it's a largely a game about discovery, about unlocking what you can do, which cards do what, uh, which plays work together. Um, but the power, of, the power of scholarship, the power of dreaming, and the limitations of the human mind. So a card-driven story strategy simulator, I think. Story creator, yeah. I think that works. It's really about writing a story. It is. It is. A, yeah. It is a writing game. It's certainly very, very tough to pigeonhole. Uh, Cast James, I'm curious what you what you both made of the made of this game. I know that these are both topics. Uh, writing and horror are both topics, sort of uh, near and dear to your hearts, and certainly near near and dear to all our hearts. Um, did this game, like in some ways, the the themes of this game are, are tailor made to uh, to appeal to this panel? I, I'm curious what y'all made of it. I'm kind of weirded out by this. When I first heard about Cultist Simulator, um, I kind of flipped. It sounded like everything I wanted, and I waited for it to come out. To my surprise, it kind of bounced off the game really hard. Mm hmm. And I think. Partially the reason for that is the narrative. There's just, at least with the character that you open with, he just starts life with so much disdain for everything else, everything that is 
outside of his own comfort zone, outside of his own dreams and wants, and he's just so he or she is just so single-minded about it. And I think all of my recent reading of Neil Lovecraft and stuff, like Deep Roots and Ballad of Black Palm, just resulted in me not quite liking the game on a thematic level. And I'm still not sure how I feel about it as a systems game. I only realized that you can unlock other characters very recently. I'm kind of enjoying Inspectors. I might revise my opinion in a few weeks, but yeah, that's where I stand so far on it. The long down read version is I have very complicated feelings about this game. James, where, where are you at on it? Yeah, um, so I think I approached this game expecting to find uh, something that was a bit more of a treatment of 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 actually you know, simulating a cult, as the name would suggest. So I think I expected to find something that that, that was a more of an in-depth look at cult leaders and cult dynamics and how cults are formed and why people join cults and how they function and so on, and found instead uh, something that, for me... Um, feels a lot like a simulator of being uh hp lovecraft uh and uh corresponding with with like-minded people um very much in the way that, that, that he did in his lifetime um th th there's a lot about the game that gives me an oppressive feeling um not only through creatively bad ui ux design but we'll get to that later um but but just also the way that the, the nothing ever really relents from this feeling and like Cass was saying your you play a character very definite it's very clearly has disdain for for all physical things including his own body and his 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 need to do things in order to stay alive and this kind of search for knowledge that's going on um feels like it's it, it's a fun game there are a lot of things about it that appeal directly to me as a lovecraft fan um there are a lot of missed opportunities that I think that are in this game. And I th overall, it, it kind of some of the things that I consider not bad systems, but bad bad presentation of the systems, I think, is what I feel, uh, sort of spoil my enjoyment of the game to a certain extent. I find, I find myself not able to really focus on the story, more sort of failing around trying to remember which things fall into which categories and what I'm actually working towards and what I'm missing and what I need. So I, th I think unrelenting is a really good uh, adjective to describe this. Uh, when you put a card into one of the boxes, uh, it's like you you have to go, go to work to earn money. So you put your job in a box, and then it counts down in real time. And as you move into the game, you could have seven, eight of these real-time things going around, going around. And some of them you have to keep constantly filling or recharging or adapting. Um so you always have these numbers and you always have these clocks counting down. So even if you're doing really, really well and you have your strong reason and you have good passion and your cult's going smoothly, your character might be doing just fine. But you yourself, the player, you're going absolutely crazy paying attention to, okay, what do I have to do next? What is my next move? Do I have all of these cards? Uh, they are they generally flip out in a kind of a disorganized way. Um, you can stack them yourself. They don't automatically stack. Uh, so it's kind of a disorganized, solitaire deck of cards laid out in front of you. Um, and I wonder how much that is intentional to keep up uh, the tension of the game. It is what uh, 
my friend and colleague uh, at Paradox, uh, Jesse Henning, would call a, a, a game about spinning plates, mm-hmm. where you always have to have always something going. You have to keep moving. If you don't keep bringing in money, you will get sick and you will run out of health. You will die. Uh, if you don't keep dreaming, you will have your health will go down and you will die. If uh, there's too much dread in your system, you will kill yourself. There are all of these different uh, things you have to balance and pay attention to at the same time as you are trying to turn your dopey follower into an apprentice and trying to keep off the police who are investigating you. <laughs> so there is this constant push to you know keep those cards moving keep those cards moving and it is uh, it is in real time this is not a, you can pause and do your actions which is fine but it doesn't automatically pause when and you can't automatically so automatically pause when a clock runs out you have to pay attention to all of these there's this constant buildup of time pressure um which is on the player more than it is on the character Actually, I don't know if I agree with that. Like, one of the things that you can do to just gently break the game is pull up one of those rooms, like you described it, and toss the card that's about to run out into it, and it automatically pauses. That is, I have wondered whether that's intentional or not myself, because I have absolutely abused that to hold a card. Like, I would hold a job uh, in the room, waiting for the things I needed to do the job to finish, like, refreshing. And then once they were finished, I would just pause and leave the room, grab the right cards, and the timer on my job has never, like, wound all the way down. And therefore, I can sort of, uh, yeah, like, it'll have 2.1 seconds left or something, and I'll hold it for, like, an extra 60 seconds while other cards come up just abusing that system a little bit and I mean, but that, that that's great but it doesn't work for you if, if you're trying to get six erudition and your erudition keeps no, coming down and you're stuck and you're stuck at four because you only get your erudition by improving your reason and you need six to research some things and sometimes getting that timing right when you also have to dream about other stuff so that system does work where you can the card, cards do expire and you can pause them by putting them into certain rooms but you got to be paying attention to that, <laughs> and it doesn't work all the time for things that are really, really crucial. Yeah, it doesn't seem to let you get like more advanced uh, things done. Like it, it, it'll help you hold on to, it'll help one of those things from from ticking over. Uh, but yeah, it not going to let you like study some dark art uh, that's super advanced. But I, I really there there's something compelling about this game. I think because. It is so opaque. Like, the first thing the game tells you is basically, I think literally, the game just tells you on the, on opening, like, just mess around with some stuff. Try new things. Uh, don't be afraid to fail. There's, there's no real instruction. There's no, you're just sort of tossed in there. And then it's on you to see how all these things actually work. And I think there's something really compelling about that. Uh, of, of sort of seeing what is happening in a game and what the game is even really about. Because when it begins, it's just you're alone with a menial job, uh, basically, and you keep poking this one little timer. And then it sort of spirals in complexity from there. And there's all these sort of hidden relationships and causalities. And it reminds me a lot of... Um, I don't know the, the right word for these games, but... Um, 
there was there was an online game uh, called like a dark room that was like half text adventure, but then eventually became a little bit of a, a, an RPG as well. But like that was another game that started out literally like telling you nothing about what it was actually about. And then the, the mystery of the game is figuring out what are you supposed to do? Who are you in this world? What, what, what are your goals? Um, I think maybe the, the simplest example of this is, uh, oh, what was it? Candy box. Was that it? Um, this is, this reminded me a lot of that. And it reminded me of what's really compelling about those games. Also reminded me of what's infuriating about those games, which is the feeling that you've been given a giant key, like <laughs> a giant, like loop of like key rings and playing the game is going to be you putting different keys in different locks and just trying them like forever. That, that's an interesting point you've just made because that, that is how, how I feel when I'm playing Culture Simulator right now. It's not so much that I have uh, a bunch of keys and a bunch of locks. It's, you, it's, it's that I, I have so many keys and they're all slightly different shapes. And every single time I get a new lock, I find myself going back through all my keys, feeling them all again, trying to remember which key was which type of key before I can fit them into into the right slot. And I think what I'm saying here is that... Uh, so um, Troy mentioned the spinning plates analogy earlier, and I think that what happens when you have a game like that is you either have to have systems that are very streamlined and kind of in, you intuitively understand, or you have to have a UI that very is very good at sorting the stuff you've got and organizing it in a way that you can see at a glance what state am I in and what things can I do and what things do I need to do next. And I think Cultus Simulator kind of breaks there when it starts to get more complicated because I don't, I think the system with the aspects is the problem. And um, you always know that, that everything is organized, everything belongs to one or more aspects. And you know that if in order for a certain, to, to unlock a certain thing, you need something that fulfills one of these aspects. But the aspects don't have unique colors. They don't have particularly memorable like, symbols on them. Um, and I think it becomes a bit of a sort of, that, oh, now I have to go through every one of my keys again to remind myself what they all what their shapes are and which one might fit this lock rather than, oh, there's a blue lock. I have a blue key over here. I also think like with candy box and a dark room, like those are really good examples of games that called the simulator remind me of, but both a dark room and candy box felt like they built on the mechanics that they introduced to you initially. And there's this growing sense of momentum. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. again, I keep wondering if part of this was intentional, the chaos, the sense of like, this guy who is losing everything, including his mind, and just everything is scattered everywhere. I wonder if that's intentional. And it, but if it's not, it doesn't quite pick up momentum or grow the same way that those two other games do. And like the dark room, especially, I remember hitting the end and going, "Oh my god, what have you done?" But none of it necessarily caught me off guard. It surprised me pleasantly. Never hit me with, "Wait, what? Wait, what? What?" Yeah, I um and I think part of that is maybe so let, let's talk a little bit about how this game sort of tells its story. Uh because this is it's an odd thing. Like this is recognizably an Alexis Kennedy game in a lot of ways. And like there there's a certain style that I think like Alexis Kennedy has brought to to a lot of his work. It, it's sort of it, it sort of uh is what I associate a lot with um Fail Better's games. And I think the way I'd put it is like 
it's almost like what if somebody made gothic horror into like dark chocolate truffles and gave you just a box full of them to eat like it's it's very like rich delicious prose uh you know very, very sensual and suggestive of a lot of uh you know feelings associations imagery and i think that's worked very well in the fail butter the fail better uh mold where the games are kind of set up to showcase that stuff and it still unfolds in recognizable narrative chunks right like sunless sea large portions of it are structured basically as short stories right like you go to a place and a characters are introduced a sequence of events happen like it is a world full of mysteries but things ultimately still fit recognizable narrative forms here cult of simulator is working with much more condensed like snippets of fiction it's like it it, is it's like a game assembled from microfiction in in a lot of ways but i really struggled to feel like the game was actually telling me any kind of story like it never felt to me like it it, even even as sort of the I, i advanced through the plot and advanced through the arc of the campaign it still felt like i was sort of moving a lot of different jigsaw pieces around but not really bringing them together into a coherent image. I'm curious if if anyone else had that experience or if anyone else started to identify with with this narrative at all. I mean, identifying with the narrative is difficult because there are some games that are just, you got off to a really bad start and you can't make it more than you know, five or ten minutes before you run out of stuff. Uh, you get fired from your job and they won't take you back. And then you get you start working in the mines and you spend your health doing that, but instead of getting healthier and getting vitality, you break an arm and you can't afford to fix it and you're dead. Uh, that's a very boring story, but it's a story that does happen where you don't get to the cult. Uh, I had a very long game where I was a inspector. I was a detective. Um, and you know I, I found a suspect and I arrested them. I kind of wanted to I guess the goal is for me to start the cult from within the police department or something and I never got anywhere I couldn't talk to anybody I couldn't because I was an inspector I I was a policeman I didn't quite know what the next step was so there are you know dead ends that aren't quite obvious if you don't get if you don't produce um, scraps of knowledge if you don't get little scripts or books uh, some locations are better than others there's a there's a hedonists club which is you know, a good place to spend money and meet people, but you know the the bookstore is better if you want to advance your cult because you find, you know, lots of different books. You have to spend money to buy them, but then you can preach from them and that and so on. So there are you know certain pathways to take you through them, um, but I never felt like there's a whole lot of distinction between the cults. I mean the the the, the card writing is you know it's very Alexis Kennedy. It's very evocative. It's very moody. Uh, he is an excellent writer. Um, and I think there's some difficulty. This is a game that some people really, really love because they have that. Their imagination will take them to there. They can read stuff into what is happening. They can build a world with these very few little snippets. I have a hard time doing that these days. I mean, it's 
it's, a, it's amazing Crusader King still works for me at all because, you know, the older I get, the more practical and pragmatic I am. Like, I want to see my stuff. Um, so, you know, story generation, story generating games, and the whole flowery language uh, in a game doesn't have the same effect on me that it might have had, you know, 10, 15 years ago uh, because sometimes the system just gets in the way of me trying to read what is going on. There's not a lot of time to savor the action. And I think that is one of the problems with building the narrative. You can't pause it really to, you know, to drown yourself in your cult, to, you know, enjoy what you've built uh, because there's always another pressure. There's Javert is behind you or something and you've got to get one of your cultists to take him out one way or the other. And that's, you know, doesn't give you time to enjoy being a cult leader. Uh, so if, even if you build a thing, you can't really enjoy it. And I think that kind of gets in the way of whatever story you want to be building. Uh, some people like that pressure. Uh, they, can, they can pause and get into it. I, know I have some people, some friends who, you know, they wasted days. I'm not wasted. They spent days just playing this end-to-end, and God bless them. I'll, I definitely agree on the systems thing. I think I... I'm just one of those people get really used to the idea of systems and just kind of push it along, especially cultist simulator, constantly going, let's try this out, and it's just pushing me to go. So I expect loops to give me the same dialogue over and over, and every now and then something new happens, and I've clicked away quickly because I've wanted to collect the cards, and like, wait, what mm-hmm. has happened? And very often when the game's just kicking off, even though I can pause, like, it's not structured in a way that makes me want to sit down and savor a writing, which is a shame because, like everyone said, it's his writing is gorgeous. Like the game doesn't create the correct environment for you to savor that. It just makes me want to run around in circles, going, "Oh God, one is on fire now." And like um, to go back to your actual question, I yeah, I didn't manage to like build a connection with this game at all. Like I said, I just started the detective, so maybe that might change. But with the first character, um, like we've all talked about, he doesn't like his job, he doesn't like anything, he gets fired, everything's just backbreaking and painful. He has no ostensible family, no friends, no human connection, no conversation about that. He somehow exists as this weird vacuum slash repository of occult desire and nothing else and like feels really empty as a character and no matter how I've played it it's just this alien thing that is waiting to be born rather than a human being descending or transcending depending on how you want to phrase it towards well eldritch state I think we're we're all pretty much in agreement that there's there's a story going on somewhere in the background and the writing is great and every so often it attracts your attention, but you're just too stressed from fighting the systems to be able to pay attention to that story, even even when you can pause the game. Um, yeah, that that's not much to add to there. Yeah, I, I think for me, like, where I started to get with this game was, um, like, increasingly, it started to feel much less like a game even about, like, occult desire or, or operating cults and became much more of a creative field precarity simulator. Uh, that is the game that I increasingly started to feel like I was playing and that everything 
it, about this game. Like e- everything about this game makes way more sense to me if you interpret it as being a game about being a str- <laughs> struggling artist, uh, yep. much more so than being <laughs> a sort of burgeoning cult leader. Because like yeah, the yeah. thing you will do more than anything else in this game is frantically spam your job to try to create mm-hmm. like a subsistence level wage so you can avoid having your health fail uh so you can continue to so you can you know buy drugs <laughs> buy drugs when you need them uh to you know to keep the demons yeah. at bay uh your friends uh any like the one of the things that will completely destroy you in this game quickly is you launch expeditions uh once you've got a cult and you have followers you can launch expeditions to locations you've discovered and locations supposedly have mysteries. Again, this feels like a missed opportunity for like creating a lot of, uh, you know, narrative. It does not feel like these are, even though there's a lot of step stages to th- these expeditions and your characters encounter many obstacles along the way, it is very easy to click through all that and just keep like feeding in more followers, feeding in more money. But the thing you'll discover is basically once you've got your friends and collaborators together and are like, all right, kids, let's go put on a show. Let's go, let's go make a thing together. That's when your economy completely falls apart and you are completely destroyed within like 15 minutes. Like everything you built, the burn rate of doing these expeditions will just consume you and you have no way to keep up with it unless you've um, you know, really upped your skills in other areas or you have things you can sell. Um, and that's kind of what this game feels like. And on that level, it began to make a certain metaphorical sense to me. Um, and that's where I started to enjoy it a bit more. But at the same time, like the nature of a subsistence, a subsistence game, a precarity game is that your head is just above water the entire time and things that you will you will stumble and fail and like be overcome for things that do not feel like you did anything wrong right it's failure can be very frustrating and arbitrary in this game and uh that i would i would always find myself restarting but did i enjoy it was i happy to be restarting i'm still not sure i mean i hate to say this ever but this is a game that needs more pop-ups it needs to have stuff say, hey, look over here. This is important. Pay attention to this. Uh, yeah. It needs to have a better alerts. Um, uh, I can click on a card, and it will show me, well, the, this card will go in this box. But I can't click on a box, and it will show me which cards match. Yeah, it, it needs, at the very least, it needs tooltips. It needs some sort of way in which you can shove all of your cards of a certain aspect into a certain area and remember that those all belong together. It needs filters or, or something, or, or, some or, other kind of you, way of well, organizing When you collect stuff. them, they all get sorted into some mm. proper space. And I think that I'm not worrying about that, then I can pay more attention to, even to the pop-up for, say, you know, the, the expeditions. A pop-up saying, hey, your people ran into this. And instead of missing it or scrolling through it or forgetting to open that thing, because it's just another timer going around uh, constantly. Mm. Um, yeah, it took me a while before I was oh, I could open that up and read more things. Um, but I, then you have the to keep looking I... past the windows that you open. Oh, my God. This is like my partner yeah. took one look over my shoulder while I was playing this game. And she was like, 
like I swear to God, she said this literally like last night. She was like, "Well, that looks like a fucking nightmare." Um, <laughs> because it's <laughs> pretty apt. <laughs> because it is a attra- like it's attractive. It makes a good first impression, but there's little things like you have all these timers, which are these big square buttons that you locate on your cult table, your cult board. It's whatever. It's 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 everything looks very very clean and very attractive. But the, there's little things like when you click on those little squares that let you take actions, uh, frequently the the box pops up and then obscures large chunks of your board that you need to be able to interact with so that you can then put things in the box. And so for me, a lot of this game, oh, and everything's at a slightly raked angle. Uh, so that things can be like text can be like physically far away from your camera. Uh, and so you kind of have to like, lean forward and scroll forward on the table to like get a clear view of the text because it's got a slight forced perspective thing on it. Um, and that it all makes it a little bit. <sighs> What's the way to put this? Um, I have a problem where I sometimes over-organize my kitchen and my like paperwork around the house. Like I can, like I will just get in these loops of like, well, I need to organize everything and make lots of minute adjustments to every single item in my house uh, so that I can find it later. Uh, and so ultimately this will save us time. Cultist Simulator like really pr- plays in that part of my personality where like so much of this game is constantly trying to sort cards and trying to f- like create clear spots for new cards to go and trying to see where dialogue goes. And losing track of where the cards go if you have it windowed and go, wait, what? where did that one go? Where's my health card? Oh, I just really want to jump in because everyone's talking about the UI to ask if anyone else just stared at the screen in mild horror when the map for the glory popped up and there was no explanation. I sat there for about two minutes going, where, where, where's my UI? Where are my cards? What am I doing? And I had to just kind of go off to Google to figure out I had to drag and drop something on an icon that was completely not obvious whatsoever. It was very frustrating. I definitely got was baffled by like I was excited because I was like oh, something new is happening, but then I didn't really like know what was going on, and I also never really like it wasn't clear. It's a weird thing that map for that 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 map lays out the arc of the game and your ultimate goal is a cultist but not in a way that i could ever relate it back to my moment to moment gameplay and decisions like i only like knew that thing was important now because i had arrived at my first sort of step on the pyramid so at, at, at various at various like stages as you like uh found your cult and then level up your cult uh you'll you'll be given this the 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 normal UI goes away, and you're looking at this uh, this this giant mat uh, that's showing you sort of the 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 pyramid of occult power that you're trying to climb. And at the base level, like the way I got into it was I was using a card, uh, the Woods, and basically what I was doing is I was playing the Woods card in my dream slot. Uh, and by the way, this is. This is how this game works. Like you're going to be doing things. Like I played, I played the woods to the dream slot and uh, added passion or something. It is the most new agey thing. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's kind of cool, but but yeah, it's super. 
none of it makes any intuitive sense. And so a lot of it is just retroactive. Um, oh, I guess that's what that means. So like the woods is how I got onto that, that pyramid, uh, that, that, that hierarchy, but nothing in that, in nothing in that mat, nothing in that, in that, uh, in that graphic gave me any real clues to how the hell I was going to climb the next tier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Exactly. I mean, if I can yeah. interject, um, uh, the thing that, that that struck me about the the like the summary that I think I made of the way that the UI is in this game is that it's a, it's very clearly a game that's designed by somebody who's used to telling stories and very good at telling stories, but not used to communicating information to the player. Um, and I think that that's probably um, because he is used to writing stories and games that are mostly vessels for delivering stories in a very linear fashion, uh, which don't have an awful lot of things that the player has to figure out how to do. But this game is kind of the opposite, and there's an awful lot that is missing. And I, I get that the he very deliberately wanted to take the approach of not telling anyone what to do and letting people figure it out, but there's a fine line there, and I think there's a balance you have to strike where you you know that at some point you have to give the player some information, which is not the story, but some information about what they should be doing through your interface in some way. So I should also say, I'm, like, I'm pretty sure this game has actually proven to be, like, for a game of the scale, it's actually proven to be pretty popular, uh, I, I want to say. It's but like... You know, the good news is like this has been, I think, a success for the Weather Factory. Um, so like, and which which is great. Like again, I, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed their other work. Uh, I'm excited to see see what happens next. But uh, it's like the way I'm, when I bring this up, why I'm bringing this up is that I suspect, uh, and I didn't think this was going to turn out this way with this panel, uh, but I suspect we are definitely kind of outliers. Uh, among people who have like played this game and our reaction is a little bit unusual and i am curious what what do you think this game like what do you what do you think this game is what about this game do you think is resonating with people right like what is this game doing that is making a lot of people who aren't us uh sort of get hooked on it and kind of get fascinated by the idea of unlocking these mysteries uh because clearly like this game is doing some things well but just not well for us and i'm, I'm curious if we can like if we can sort of look at this and see sort of see the good in it right see, see where this is succeeding in its goals um, I think at least one of it is that the, Alexis has built up a huge following over the years, beginning with Fall in London and everything else that he has done. People love his work, people love his writing, and I think a lot of the complaints that get levied against Fall in London or like Sunless Seas is that it feels slow. So for those people, um, Cultist Simulator feels like a more fast-paced, more interesting, more involved version of the games he has worked on. Brand loyalty, I imagine, is at least part of it. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's also, I mean, it is a, a pretty game. It, yeah. it, it, it shows very well. And I know some big YouTubers who are doing Let's Plays of it, and maybe they're telling really, really good stories. That's a skill that I probably can't do, which is why, which is one reason I don't have a YouTube channel. Uh, and 
you know, some of them are getting really into it. And that's the sort of stuff that can really move the needle for a small game like this. Uh, you get someone like, you know, Mathis, uh, Michael Martin Mathis playing this game for, you know, a whole week. That's the sort of stuff that will sell uh, a bunch of copies for a relatively low-priced, attractive-looking game. How many people actually put in, you know, 30, 40, 50 hours into this? That's a good question. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's a game that it's also the kind of game that rewards experimenters. Um, and I'm an experimenter. That's kind of one thing I really, really like about this game. So I don't want to say it's all be all negative about it. There's quite a few compelling things in this game. One thing is Partly because it is opaque, either intentionally or not, it is a game that does reward people who are willing to push things, try new things. If you screw up, you'll screw up pretty quickly. It's not like you'll be putting, you know, 20 hours into a game and then France comes in and wrecks all your shit. It's going to be a, it's, it's, it's a game where, uh, you'll, if you're going to screw up badly, you'll screw up relatively quickly. And when you do, if you do screw up late and end up dying, you'll have learned a whole lot more for the next time around. Uh, so it does reward that kind of building of knowledge. You become a kind of Lovecraftian researcher yourself in plumbing the dark depths of whatever the hell goes in which magic box. Um, so the connection of, you know, Theme and mechanic works pretty damn well, I think, for uh, that kind of player. Um, and it's colorful. It is a very pretty colorful game. It has it uses palettes that you don't see in a whole lot of uh, games. <coughs> like for a Lovecraftian game, you'd expect you know maybe a lot more a lot more purples or dark greens. And this is, you know, some a nice, you know, forest green matte, and it's got a good use of grays and yellows. It's like neon gem tones. Uh, yeah, uh, which I think is very, very attractive. So it shows well. And the title, even if it's a little bit deceiving, helps. And yet you're not really a cultist. It's not, you're not really simulating a cult, but people might think they're going to. So, so you will probably think that I hate this game from the fact that I've brought nothing but criticism so far, but I'm actually still playing it and enjoying it. And uh, I'm somebody who loves Dark Room and Candybox and games like that. And games like that, there aren't too many of them around. And when, when I played through a Dark Room for about the 10th time and played Candybox 2 and went searching around for anything else that there was that was like this sort of idle gameplay, um, I didn't really find very much until fairly recently. So I think there's definitely definitely a market for extremely well-polished examples of these idle games, especially the kind of dark room style game where you start off with not very much known and the whole thing just grows and, 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 and explodes into something else. Um, so I think that has got to have a lot to do with um, why this game has been so popular. Um, and there's obviously there's a lot of really good storytelling in it and there's lots of interesting um, mechanics to explore the way that you discover stuff as you go. Um, yeah, sorry. I, I think it's got a lot going for it, and uh, I am I am focusing on the things that I'm critical of because that's probably what I do. Well, welcome to the podcast. That's kind of our thing. <laughs> uh, I just want to toss one more thing in since everyone brought it up. Sort of, the grind is really seductive when it works. Like when it really works, you just lose yourself into the moment. So I just want to say Troy's description of feeling like a Lovecraftian scholar yourself is very apt. When the game sucks you in, it sucks you in. 
I, I actually feel like Lovecraft himself playing this game um, because from everything that I've read about how he got started with his with his writing, um, it, it feels like genuinely, not, not like I'm running, uh, running a cult. And that's what I meant earlier about the missed opportunity. There's, there's nothing in the game about the mechanics by which cults actually work. It's more like running a book club. Mm -hmm. It's more like being a prolific correspondent like Lovecraft was. And uh, so the premise of the game for me seems to be what if Lovecraft had actually started a cult rather than a literary movement that's interesting yeah so maybe that's maybe this is one of the other like secrets of this game's success is that like we've all like it's very easy to read this experience as being metaphorical to a variety of different things like you're mapping it to like sort of the origination of uh sort of the church of lovecraft right and for me i'm reading it as like oh this is like this is kind of about like working in media or game development uh you know in the in the late 2000s uh you know early early teens um that like in some ways the game is sparse enough that it's very easy for you to read your own meanings into a lot of what's happening here um which i could see that being being part of the appeal what do you, you know, what do you think is the appeal of just these, these, I hesitate to call them mystery box games because uh, that has so many like J.J. Abrams-esque connotations and almost means something else within like, uh, you know, fiction, uh, fiction construction, but like these completely opaque like trial and error games. Uh, this is this is probably one of the most polished ones I've encountered. Like my points of reference are again, uh, you know, various Twine games, uh, Candy Box, Dark Room, and one thing that I, I I think is seductive when I play this game is that unlike so much, so many of the other games that that you play, so many other games that are out there, um, this has no feeling of familiarity to it whatsoever. Really? Uh, like, you know, you can make those associations with, with these other games, but like you have no, like you literally have no idea what's going on in this game. It is just a completely, it's a, it's a strange beast that, that you've not encountered before. And, and you're kind of just feeling your way, your, your way forward. And I'm wondering if to a degree, like one of the reasons that I'm still playing and I'm still sort of compelled by that is, is just, it's satisfying that craving for the new and mysterious uh, that is so hard when you're working in like established genres. Um, I, yeah, I think it definitely does satisfy that. Uh, I was just kind of thinking about how accurate you were in, uh, in the description, why all these names are possibly appealing so much of life in general for a lot of us. is just structured. You wake up, you have your breakfast, you go to work, you have a conversation with your, colleagues at at noon at lunch you go back you watch a bit of tv you go to sleep so anything that just kind of invites you with minimal investment to just open up a world that you no longer you don't understand you cannot understand you cannot map on any current experiences like i think we're starved for it in some ways mm -hmm. i may be saying this because there's a part of my head that feels like um I guess it's because I'm finally moving very slowly towards my 40s, and I'm thinking there's a little bit of a midlife crisis similar to this, where you're trying to find mystique and magic 
as the humdrum of the world grinds you down. 40s aren't all bad. (laughs) (laughs) 40s great. What are you guys talking about? (laughs) No. I totally totally get that uh, to a terrifying degree. Right. Like, I think a lot of like a lot of this game, a lot of the action of this game is trying to break free from ruts. Like the most effective trap in this game is uh, when everything is just sustainable and you're not actually making any progress. Like I, I had a I had a game pretty much stall out. I was playing as the physician and um, I had a game pretty much stall out. I was able to make ends meet and have a little extra for. I kept going to the occult bookstore and just buying new books and reading them and getting a new reason card that I could play. But I had more reason cards than I knew what to do with. I couldn't, I wasn't getting anything new out of that. Uh, I was avoiding all risky actions. I wasn't sending anyone on expeditions because I knew I didn't have the, have the resources for it. Uh, I, had a, I had a small, I had a small little cult, but like, again, extremely book club. Like we were not doing jack shit. And I was sort of stuck in this rut for a long time. And I was like, I do not know how to, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. Because right now I'm like sort of spamming these really familiar actions and I'm safe. And I'm able to take care of all my needs. Uh, But at the same time, you're sitting there and you're like, well, this, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, clearly it's called a simulator. I've got an entire pyramid I need to climb. I need to break free from this. I need to go find mysteries. I need to go, I don't know, maybe murder a police investigator or sacrifice one of my cult members in a, in a, in a, in an occult, right. But a big part of this game is like achieving, achieving sort of a baseline stability and comfort. And then like sort of getting dissatisfied with that and then trying to break out of it at great risk to like the point of derailing your entire game and having your character enter a uh you know a spiral of despair or um the thing that would consistently catch me out was uh sort of the opposite i guess sort of a mania uh i think it was um fascination if you acquire too many fascination tokens by the sort of the radiant secrets you're contemplating, uh, that's another way to sort of have your game end as your, uh, as your sanity phrase from the other end. And I think this game does sort of evoke that kind of effectively because so much of it is kind of boring day-to-day routine on those turns. But at a certain point, you do need to start making some big moves and some big changes uh, in this game, even though you're not really sure, sort of by design, what the hell comes next. Yeah, it's, it's a game that I keep restarting. I have about you know, 12, 15 hours in it now, and I just keep going back to it. I mean, it's not something I sit down and sit down, I'm going to just sit down and play a bunch of this, but I do end up going through three, four, five lives. Uh, three if I'm lucky, five if it's a bad day. Um, trying different things, and you know, seeing if I, I played the uh, I forget what he's called, the, the bright and shining boy or something, the Bertie Worcester, Jay Gatsby type. Yeah, yeah. And, and you don't really bright young thing. There we go. And you know, that's, the first time I played him, he generally doesn't do a whole lot. He has little odd jobs, but then he came into like twenty five funds, twenty five bucks, in like his fourth time out. Like, how did this happen? So he can just go crazy, you know, buying books, going to the club, trying to 
turn Jeeves into a high priest or whatever. And it's it was great until that money too runs out. And that kind of felt that felt kind of right, right? You know, he, he falls into a fortune, and me thinking this fortune might last longer than I thought it would, um, ended up not making a whole lot of progress and just splurging it all on books, which, if you know me, is a very Troy thing to do. Uh, you just go to a bookstore and drop, you know, 25 bucks every day you go in. And it was fantastic. I mean, it's not much of a story because the cult didn't go anywhere. He, I think he ended up uh, hanging himself. He, he, I think he's ended up you know, just, just too much to spare. I guess you, you can't fill a lonely heart with books, but you can with <laughs> but you can with the old gods, and just the old gods never answered his call. So it was sad. But there are these great little moments that I think are really um, really speak to something. That speak to, I mean, I, this is a game that I think has so many issues. Uh, in design and uh, interface and even conceptually. And yeah, maybe James, or maybe, maybe even the, the title should be changed. But there is this compelling sense of, I want to go back to this world. I want to do what I want to do. I want to go where the people are. I want to go where the these odd little mysteries are happening. And I'm not into mystery games, really. I, yeah, but, you know, this is kind of cool. For a dork game? Uh, Cass, sounds like you had something to say there for a second. Oh, I just want to say that uh, I also just real life retweeted it on Twitter. I just like the line that Troy put out. You can't fill your heart, your empty heart with books. It's just such a nice line. I just had to comment. <laughs> the, the Troy Goodfellow autobiography. Um, yeah, I... One thing, I, one thing I wanted to ask y'all about is how did you find, did anyone else have like memorable expeditions or encounters with investigators? Because that's one of the other uh, major pressures in this game is that investigators show up and begin basically trying to lock you up. And depending on how many, uh, it depends on what the investigators are looking for. There are different types of investigators who look for different sorts of evidence um, but like, so if you've created a bunch of, uh, like notoriety, a certain type of investigator might c convert that into evidence and use that to build a case against you and perhaps eventually arrest you. Uh, but you can also like talk to the investigators and, you know, try to set them up. And one memorable thing that I had happen was, um, I had this really, uh, a very Warhammer style witch hunter or inquisitor style investigator on my case, like very, very grim, uh, very determined, meticulous. Uh, but one of the things they flag for you is that grim archetype investigators are vulnerable to despair. And it just so happened that my cult specialized in dark upsetting mysteries we were we were we were total like occult goths uh like even by the standards of a lovecraftian cult we were we were the goths and so i just happened to have a really dark uh threatening mystery existential mystery uh sort of kicking around <laughs> sitting around kicking around the cult archives and so i sat down with 
you know, I, I sort of imagined it is a bit like uh, the Pacino De Niro scene in Heat, where I go and I talk to the investigator and I just sort of drop my cult mystery on the table. And that investigator, like, instantaneously is crushed and shattered by the realization I've just shared with them. And they go out of the game. They become uh, just a, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a helpless, um, you know, a, a helpless lunatic. And that was kind of a, it was at once a cool interaction and it was, it was a cool beat for me to sort of imagine how it all went down. But like a lot of things in this game, I wish there were just like a little more in the way of interaction, a little more stage setting, like a little more painting the picture. Uh, you know, and that's kind of how I felt with a lot of the expeditions and with my interactions with my various adversaries who cropped up. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious uh, if anyone else had had any cool stories or, or, or what you made of those mechanics. I think I'm stuck in one of those ruts that have been described recently, but uh, in my current playthrough. But um, I do agree that the, the characters that you can play and the characters that you can encounter, there's a really good kind of stable of Lovecraftian archetypes there, in that you sort of know what to expect from each of them based on what sort of what sort of plots you're looking out for and what sort of things you expect to have an effect on them. Um, uh, plays very well with your expectations based on uh, the, the genre, um, but personally, I'm yeah, I'm stuck in a rut right now. I think I think I need to kill someone to get out of it. I never, I, I must not have had the right cult members uh, because I, I really wanted to kill Mister Alden. Uh, he's your sort of <laughs> shitty like Scrooge-like taskmaster at your first yeah. job, that and guy. yeah, and he completely like. Your job is supposed to take 60 seconds, but he routinely is extending the timer by just being a meticulous asshole. And, like, I got really excited when I happened to have on retainer a, uh, basically a mad bomber. And I was like, well, that seems like, the game is like, there might be a way to deal with Mr. Alden. And so when I, when I got it, when I was just wandering the street and ran into a mad bomber one night, I was like, oh, this is probably what the game meant is I will just I will just unibomber Mr. Alden. Uh but that didn't work. And so I was kind of I kind of gave up on trying to kill him and I just stopped working there. I focused all my characters became painters. Which is pretty much how I got into this line of work, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, uh as we wind this down like it's I find myself really confused. Uh, I've really enjoyed talking about this game. Like, as often happens on this podcast, I come in and I'm really lukewarm on a game and hearing y'all talk about it. I'm still, like, I, I'm still keenly aware of all these flaws and frustrations. I am not sure I like this game. I'm also pretty sure I'm going to continue playing it. There's something about it that's, that's keeping me coming back. Uh, and I'm kind of at a loss as to how to reconcile that or even whether that impulse is a good thing. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious where the, where the rest of you sort of wrapped up with the game. What, what, what do you think the future holds uh, for you and, and, and Cultus Simulator? I'm looking forward to somebody modding a better user interface. Yeah. I, I would just like, I would just like to win. I'd like to win at least once. I'm not sure it's possible. I mean, I know there are winning conditions, but I'll never, I never, I never even come close 
I'm just trying really odd, dumb combinations to ever win. So I'm going to keep going back to the game to see if I can break the game that way. Um, I spent one playthrough very cheerfully trying to drag the character through good exercise and taking care of himself. It didn't quite work. Yeah, I mean, it, it's having. I got my character extra strength and extra vitality, and I was great if he didn't hate himself, but he did. <laughs> my character I had a character get super buff uh, the problem is even like I think I was like at I either had the strongest character you can have or I was like one tick off of having the strongest character you can have uh, but even then the problem with that was going and doing manual labor even if you're the str- like even if you're a Paul Bunyan-esque cult leader uh, still does not pay enough for you to build up the kind of war chest you need to actually get things done uh, in this in this game. Like I never, it I never had more than like a single uh, funding unit in the bank, basically. And you really need like to be able to generate a few or several uh, gold. Uh, again, like a bit of a comment on, on the future of unskilled labor, I suppose. Uh, or the current the current state of of you know working for uh, labor wages, but yeah, I, I one thing that made me feel way less bad about how I was playing Call to Simulators, I eventually cracked and looked up a guide, and it's like one of the top, like one of the one of the easiest guides to find on Reddit, and the person writing it was like, yeah, it took me. Uh, like 50 hours to beat this game. Uh, and so, you know, this guide will spoil it, but if you don't feel like sort of beating your head against this for 50 hours, um, you know, here's some ways you can sort of speed up your, your your journey through the game. And boy, 50 hours is a lot of trial and error. And I am pretty sure that if I hadn't read this guide, I would have, I was on track to beat like 50 hours by quite a bit before I before I beat it, right? Like, I, I suspect I was I was on track for, like, 80 hours or something like that. Um, I still might be. Uh, but, yeah, it's... It's an inscrutable game in a lot of ways, uh, but, there, but there is something about it. Um, well, that will do it for this week. We'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. Three Moves Ahead is produced, as always, by Michael Hermes and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode of our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, Cass, real quick, I, you know... I am curious. You, you mentioned before the show that you're writing for the Black Library now, uh, or you have a project for the Black Library, which to me just means Warhammer. Am I am I correct, or do they do, they do other things? Warhammer. No, it's for Warhammer. Um, Black Library, I guess, is the name of their fiction imprint, and they're launching a Warhammer horror kind of imprint next year and I wrote a story for I think the first anthology and I might have more work coming up with them later but that will depend on how things go all right uh so definitely going to keep an eye out for that that's uh that's really exciting I've always I've always thought it would see it seemed like a universe that would be fun as hell to write for um if it provided you can just turn off the filter and be utterly shameless about it yeah, it, it definitely is the case. And then um, 
if you're willing to deal with the fact that the editors are frighteningly good about their world building and their lore, they will tell you if they break if you break canon, even in the smallest, tiniest way. Oh, really? It's kind of rad. They're like supercomputers. Okay, that that is that is really cool. Uh, keep up with your with your work. Where can people uh, where where can people follow you? Um, I am on I am at Cascaw on Twitter, and I finally have a website again, CassandraCaw.net. But my Twitter right. is probably the best place to find any updates. Cool. Uh, so we'll keep an eye out for uh, for your for your upcoming work. Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Cass, James, and Troy, this is Rob Zachney saying good night. <laughs>